When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Excuse me, Veronica. Yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Hello and welcome to the Pants Party. I am your host, Harrison Starr, HD underscore star on Twitter, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Ben Ross, mm. Renboss23, Harmon Chillabrew himself. How are you doing? Lovely. You making you making eyes at me over there, Boiler? All the time. All the oh, time, weird. Ben. Well, it's, you know, nice to feel loved. <laughs> Regardless of where that affection is coming from, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, no, no, I mean, the, the action, or excuse me, the weather outside is cooling down, but the, the action on the pants party is heating up in oh, the most platonic way possible. <laughs> yeah, it's guy love. <laughs> How are you doing? You enjoy the weekend outside of all of the uh, Iowa sports losses? Yeah, I luckily, I mean, one where thankfully I didn't see the uh, Friday night. I was at a concert, really great show, so I missed all the Purdue game. Watched those highlights <clears throat> uh, Saturday morning, preparing for the football game. Can't believe Iowa brought it within seven after being down what, like twenty two. Um, or more even of that Purdue game, and then obviously a football game happened, I suppose, which I had a front row seat to at a bar, not at the actual game, which I don't like to <clears> – I <throat> don't want to dunk on anybody or anything, but oh my god, I'm I glad I did not pony up to go to um, Indianapolis. I'm so glad I didn't go. It was like uh, – what, what was it? It was like Saturday – Christina was had just gotten back from going out with friends, and she's like, "I'm surprised you didn't try and make a push to go to the championship game a little more." And I'm like, "I think I'm past those pushes right now." Like, and like for who, who, for you, for you, would you have driven or flown? I mean, it would have been an interesting conundrum because for me, I probably would have driven, mm-hmm. and I would have needed to go to the game with. Someone, because Christina was like, oh, I, I could have just stayed and watched Elliot. And that's also, you know, like, I mean, that's a lot to ask of anyone who isn't. I mean, she is my wife and the mother of my child, but it's it's a lot to ask someone to, to watch a baby for an extended day-on-day situation. Um, although we, we do sometimes, but... Uh, it just didn't seem like the the benefits outweighed the costs, even if Iowa had done the deed. Um, which, now that I think about it, 
it's like I was pretty optimistic uh, uh, about the game going into it. And we can just go ahead and get into it, right? Because, um, man, it, it just kind of a weird game. And to me, it highlighted the second like a speck of sand gets thrown into the Iowa football machine as it pertains to complementary football. It just can't get back on the rails. It is. It's unserious is what I watched. I I think like what we witnessed on Saturday night was an unserious attempt at football in in a very serious game. I feel like Um, maybe that's dramatic or hyperbolic after, you know, it was a, it was 14, three at half. I mean, Spencer Petras had 96 passing yards in the first quarter. If you would have told me that going into the game that he had 96 yards in one quarter, I'd say it's a two touchdown, three touchdown game for Iowa. Not, (laughs) I mean, on the board, I mean, like, like seriously. And the rest of that from there on on, it was just, you know, uh, hair lit on fire sort of experience from, I mean, really, you know, the entire second half on. And then even like, it, it felt like it was going to get incredibly out of hand after those back-to-back p- scoring possessions from Michigan. It just felt like, well, this is over. I mean, it was over, but to be down only 14-3 at half in a game where it felt like it should have been 14-6, maybe even 14-10, you had to feel really good about what was going on. And then from there, just like the inability or unwillingness to do anything different on offense other than like change quarterbacks when maybe it's too late and maybe you change quarterbacks because your hand is forced again because of an injury of Petrus, which I I believe is true, but there's some skeptics out there too that Kirk was just trying to cover. You, You are a skeptic. I don't know how injured Petrus was. I I think it is. How is he injured in the second drive of the second half in a way that he wasn't injured in the first drive of the second half? That's the question I have as it pertains to it. <clears throat> when did um, that slide happen where he uh, apparently got her? And then he, like, it was a nice run, like 12 yard run for a first down that got called back for holding. But when did that or tripping maybe it, even? It was in the middle of the second quarter, as I remember. So if, okay. if that was when it happened, you had, I think I did the math, you had three or four drives. I think Petrus was two of seven um, after that hit. And you, so there are two or three drives they could have gone to him if, if he was considered actually injured. And like, I believe he was injured to an extent. But it it provided, like, why why was he so injured in that particular moment in a way that he wasn't in the drives between the hit, if we presume that's when it happened, and uh, the series he was ultimately pulled. But, like, the Petrus thing, to your point, 96 yards in the first quarter. Like, like uh, he, like there was, there was nothing that said, "Oh, you know, we need to get Padilla in there because Iowa's offense was moving the ball," and I put the red zone ineptitude far more on Brian Ferentz over the course of the season than I do 
any of the players. Because, like, I mean, to, to score a touchdown on two out of every five red zone possessions is a crime against football. Especially with, like, <clears throat> I was got good players. Laporta had himself a great game. I think mm-hmm. there was at least one red zone play um, possession where Luke Lachey was open. It looked like on, like, two back-to-back plays and didn't even look to him. Instead, just chose to... Run Gavin Williams or Tyler Goodson right into the ass of Tyler Linderbaum on back-to-back plays. Like it was the same thing after one after another, and it was just so frustrating because like the quick passes were there, the Laporta and Laporta down the middle was there, anybody down the middle was there, the slants were there, and then you just you follow up a successful play with two abjectly horrible ones, the the aforementioned runs, just trying to. Square peg, round hole, the power eye running game, or not even power eye, just single back sometimes, um, <clears throat> into the teeth of this really good Michigan defense. And all, also to mention, like, I was offensive line could have played played as good as you could have expected. Really. I mean, I think so. In pass protection and, you know, the, the first sack of the game was because Tyler Goodson completely whiffed uh, on uh, – <laughs> Uh, I can't remember. It wasn't Aiden Hutchinson, I think, but it was still like that. That, that was the first sack. Oh, I, think, I think. Yeah, and I think we only gave up two sacks the entire game, right? I could be wrong, but like, like you said, it was as good as you could have expected. Like mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. highlights look very good for Hutchinson and very bad for Jack Plum, but it ultimately resulted in one sack from the guy. Seven seven quarterback pressures, like. I was kind of watching him get the MVP trophy. Mike, was he actually the MVP of this game? Like, it, like I, I mean, to, not to truth or that. Certainly, he was. He's a great player and is deserving of going to New York, like Joel Klatt was waxing poetic about. But considering how great he played against Ohio State, Iowa could not have asked for much more than. What he did, now granted, how much of his pressures were a function of the game being out of hand for the last 20 to 25 minutes. Fair fair question. But broadly speaking, like Iowa did what they needed to do to, to contain him. And that's the thing. I thought the same thing on Sunday morning when I was sort of doing the morning after thing. I, I was, you know... <clears throat> I think you give it to Aiden Hutchinson because just everybody on the Michigan offense contributed. Like McNamara <laughs> put up with 16 to 24, but only had 169 yards. He had the interception, which wasn't his fault. Um, Corum, he had 74 yards in the touchdown, but only on five carries. Uh, and then you had Haskin had 56 yards on 17 carries, which is not, you know, super great, but he still had two touchdowns, including, you know, a pretty backbreaking one. Um, you had, three guy you had two guys three guys over 50 40 yards receiving uh for Michigan it's like I look at that box score and I see why can't I would do that why like we don't need a perfect game out of Spencer Petrus we have two capable running backs in Tyler Goodson and Gavin Williams now obviously Williams is a true freshman and can't expect that out of him but he's not nobody back there we have Laporta, I mean, had a, a really great game. Lachey's capable capable behind him. And then you say whatever you want about Charlie Jones, Nico Organi, uh, Arlen Bruce, and Keegan Johnson. Like, it's – the guys are there. And I was, I was offense. And 
you know, I, Michigan does have a better offensive line. I'm, not, I'm done talking about the offensive line, but that, again, that's not the reason Iowa lost. We know why the reason why Iowa's got the toys, but that we got a Sid in the sandbox from Toy Story. We don't have an Andy playing with, with, <laughs> with these toys. I mean, that is a wretched, wretched comparison. And it's a fair one. Like, I mean, we're going to talk about this later because it's part of the, the broader construct. But, like, Iowa did not bring the type of game plan they needed to to win the game from an offensive standpoint. And I, I point to kind of three big things. It was kind of my my takeaway in your morning after piece. And first, I, I do want to say, like, I'm happy Iowa made the championship game. I said it this time last week. I said, all I want is more bites at the apple. And this season, Iowa got a bite at the apple. And, you know, when you look at where Iowa football was ahead of the Nebraska game, I don't even think we discussed what it would be like if Iowa made the championship game that was so far out of our reach that we just didn't even consider it. And the fact that they got there and played a game 10 days, two weeks after we didn't think they were going to play a game. I'm not going to be mad about losing like they did from a peer score standpoint. But what concerns me is like Kirk Ferentz, and I think Gukin did a really good job of putting this in into focus, is like there are consequential games and inconsequential games between really, really good teams this time of year. And too often Kirk brings like kind of the inse- inconsequential mindset into a consequential game. And... He just didn't have a proper risk assessment. I was wrong in thinking that Jim Harbaugh would get down in the mud. He didn't. He, he pedaled to the metal, that thing. But Kirk did not play like you want an underdog to play when you look at it from a red zone perspective. If you're going to pull out your bag of tricks to try and score, then you need to do that on all three plays. Right, like you need to do out anything you can to get that first touchdown, and the the fact Iowa only went to the end zone that one time during that possession was a travesty. And then you look at the second time they're in the red zone, and they go run, run. I'm like, okay, four down territory, let's get it. And they throw a, a call a a, a Low percentage route to Keegan Johnson, who maybe has a beat on his guy, but would have taken a perfect pass to complete and maybe a less perfect pass to maybe get a defensive pass interference penalty, which was certainly a possibility. But then you don't try on fourth down. You just kick the field goal and you're not shut out in the Big Ten championship. So to me, it's like, understand where you're at. And then you you balance the two red zone opportunities against how, how Iowa's defense played when Michigan was pinned. And the fact that they played really quite well lends even more credence to it should be four down territory inside of the, the red zone. Because it at the very least, there's an argument that can be made that 0-0 with Michigan at the five is better than even 3-0. Michigan at the 25, and as it turned out, 
zero zero Michigan ball at the twenty. Um, so so that's ultimately what had me concerned um, from a going forward standpoint. And then you look at like, oh, they're just playing this pin them back, not ever capitalizing on on that great uh, field position they had throughout much of the second quarter. And it's just, that's the Sid nature of the Iowa offense is ultimately not using the toys for toys, but using the toys to create some ugly brand of fun for someone, I guess. I mean, that's a great point. Not using the toys for toys. You have the backup running back throwing to the fullback who has three catches on the year, which by the way, I'm kind of okay with, you know, that was an okay play call. (laughs) Potted bomb tripped. Why can't you have like Luke Lachey running that route? I don't know. But the Keegan Johnson one-man route, not even having a second, third, fourth read, I think is much worse. And even if that is a better thrown ball, not perfectly thrown ball, as you said, I don't even know if Iowa gets the benefit of the doubt on a pass interference call. But, I mean, just another stupid what if. And that's what makes it the very first thing, or one of the first things you said there was, you know, um, a better offensive game plan, sort of like wins the game, and it's like, Iowa's offensive game plan on the very first drive is a game plan to win the game. And then you just mm-hmm. and then you just wipe your butt with it. And then you're just done. Oh, well, that didn't work. So instead of taking, you know, that, that instead of taking Novocaine or pay, pay medication, we're just gonna bite down on the stick for the next four quarters. Like, oh, the medicine didn't work, so we're just gonna go back to rubbing dirt in the wound. Like uh, like I'm like if Iowa scores a touchdown on that drive, do you do you think that they go keep on doing exotic and cool things. I'm not sure, but it just feels like Iowa was punished, punished itself for trying to stop, to not be in Iowa, I guess. And the question I wanted to ask you is like, and I think we, we kind of talked on this a little bit, but it's like, do you buy or sell that Iowa with a better offense can win this game? Not better. Oh, I mean, I would have, I 100% buy it. Yes. I mean, you have to. I mean, I don't know how you can. Yeah. And it's like with a better – and I mean, obviously, it's a 42-3. That score is absurd. But they scored 20 – I mean, Michigan scores 21 points in the fourth quarter. And, you know, when the game's out of hand, talk about defense being gassed, whatever. I don't care. And to be clear, I'm okay with Jim Harbaugh scoring all those points. I don't – he needed to. Yes. Like, as – as as we saw them still get the number two ranking, he needed mm-hmm. to because he needed to do everything he could to give his team the best chance to win the national title. Because, like, again, this is a misassessment from, I think, a lot of people's standpoint, and Kirk certainly in this, is that Jim Harbaugh was not going to play this game like his life depended on it. He played last game like his life depended on it. You can't do that two times in a row. Well, you can. Like, like I, I, I think that, like, for as bad as Iowa was and for the, the credit that they're receiving for being bad and the jokes that they're receiving for being bad, Michigan deserves a lot of credit for being really freaking good. Like, and I think that you, you go through their schedule and you see their one loss was, I mean, 
that was a fluky loss. You look back on it and it's like, that was the one time and the one team they played against who probably comes away with that win. And again, like I kind of come back. I, I don't know how you justify Alabama over Michigan, just because I think Michigan's played so much better for, for so much longer. Um, but man, it, it, they deserve a lot of credit for how they played. And, and Iowa just wasn't prepared for that. And that gets back to one, the offensive strategy and two, just the adjustments made to, for lack of a better phrase, turtle. Michigan's one loss, fluky loss is to a good team. Two, a good mm-hmm. team that's an in-state rival. Alabama's fluky losses to a bad team, you know. So I, I, that's a little bit different, I guess. But mm-hmm. I, I guess it's like you th- you think about where Iowa goes from here, and I don't know if we want to wait till the bowl game against Kentucky to see what happens. We'll talk about that as we get closer to it, I'm sure. But it's like, are we at the point now? Or it's like, this, is somebody going to tell Kirk Ferentz that he's not wearing any clothes? Or, or Brian is somebody to tell him that he's got spinach in his teeth. Are we are we are we at that point, or is it just like everybody's too afraid to say something to the king, and we're we're going to go to war with France without any bows and arrows and expect to win because we can beat Prussia without bows and arrows, and we can we can take down the Ottoman Empire, but the pesky French they got a navy. We got rowboats. I mean, I, I, I don't know enough. I just watched the King Kentucky. on Netflix. Okay. Okay. I guess I don't know enough about Kentucky to have the discussion as it pertains to the game at hand. But from a, and I think this is maybe your point. I was talking about bigger Big Ten. Yeah, I was foregoing the Kentucky game. I'm talking about future Big Ten endeavors. Kirk has to. Because if if for no other reason that he is absolutely tanking Brian's job prospects by not letting him show what the best version of Iowa's offense can be, and I, I, I when I was for the Brian Ferentz hire, it was because Kirk Ferentz is not going to let his son's job prospects be ruined by his overall uh, scheme and approach to the game. That was part of it. And the other part was if there's anyone who can convince Kirk Ferentz to adjust his mindset on modern football, it's his son who's, you know, 20 year career after his stint with Iowa's done hinges on the fact that, he is actually a good coach and not simply his father's son. Now there are arguments that a lot of these guys stick around in a lot of places doing this. And Brian Ferentz is going to be fine because he's made all this money and that's, that's fine. Like I get the dollars and cents and he's going to be gainfully employed in football until he wants to stop being gainfully employed in football. But the ceiling on Brian Ferentz right now, he is he is operating above it, given everything that we've we've seen. And by operating above it, I mean 
he's in a position that he has shown to be very rarely competent in an exceeding fashion. And this gets back to my favorite point that you've made in the past. What does his resume look like? And we go back through the Rolodex of this season. How many players are you adding to to his resume? Maybe six or seven. I I can think of maybe a handful um, right offhand, the pass to Penn State. I think the one kind of tunnel screen uh, to Laporta, that was a fake. That was a good one. Uh, Tyler Gibson in space against Maryland. Those are the three that immediately stick out. But his resume is still really heavy on the Ohio State game in 2017, Ben. And the and the holiday bowl. Sorry, can you hear me? I just pressed a stupid button on this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the holiday bowl. It's and I and I, when I wrote the in the in my in the in the in the in the, in the recap, I wrote of the game for, on Sunday morning, and I I felt like I was being a little bit dramatic when I said like I'm done referring to Brian and Kirk separately, but after hearing you talk a little bit, Nar, I'm I'm more confident in my assertion. That I'm done. I'm done referring to Kirk and Brian Ferentz separately. I think they are the Ferences. They are one at the same. They are both attached at the hip. And because I don't care if Kirk is holding yeah. back the offense for Brian. And be, and I, I do care if Brian's just this inept. But it doesn't matter. There is absolutely no point in arguing about it. The Ferences are one. The Frenzy are one. And, and, I don't, and I don't – I do not see a way. Kirk fires Brian this year. I just don't see that happening. And so even more like, so uh, the only way I could see uh, the only way I'm ready to change my tune on that, it is if Kirk does cut off his own foot in, in a rock climbing situation where he went out and didn't tell anybody where he's climbing and when, and gets between a rock and a hard place. I can't remember, <laughs> you know, that I know it's the name of that book that that guy wrote who cut off 127 name, hours That's it or something. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. The name of the, whatever. I'm not getting into this. Uh, I am getting into like this sucks and, and I am done, you know, done looking at speaking of Brian's resume. I'm done talking about his time in new England. And I think people were talking about how he was taking credit for Gronk and things like that. I don't know how true that is. I can't remember him really ever saying that or communicating that. And it's like, but he's been exposed. Talk about like, I was watching the new England Buffalo game last night and it sucked. It was uh, a fun football to beautiful. watch. But he's been exposed to brilliant fo- like you have to say Bill Belichick's game plan last night was brilliant. It sucked to watch, <laughs> but it won them the game and it was like what Mac Jones completed one pass and com- uh attempted three the entire night. And yes. it's like yes, I was brand of football it's it's not fun to watch, and it does reap success, but it's not brilliant. It's predicated on a great defense, whereas like you you can see what's the what's the term I'm looking for? You can see the forest through the trees uh, with you know the, with what New England was trying to do last night with Iowa. Where the hell do they live? I don't know. Yeah, I, I tweeted last night watching that game that I thought. There, there isn't a situation where you could see an Iowa quarterback throw three times because Iowa is not offensively what you hear Iowa talk about 
almost more than anything other than being complimentary football, which I'm only going to use ironically now is balance, achieving balance. And even Brian said in a perfect world, we're running the ball 70 times, 70% of the time. New England went out and ran the ball over 90% of the time. And I don't think Iowa has it in them to be that be that dedicated to that type of a game. Um, I, I think that they they they're just so focused on balance and and things like that that it's like uh you know that you would I, I equated it to the 2016 Illinois game where Iowa actually elected to kick in the second half instead of receive. So they ended up um, receiving, or they elected to get the wind, whatever it was. Illinois didn't kick once, and that was basically the equivalent. I went back, and Iowa still threw the ball like 16 times, ran it 40-some. Kansari went crazy, I believe, if I'm remembering it correctly. No, it was 2016, so Kansari didn't. Point being, Iowa would never do that. That, to me, last night is something that P.J. Fleck would do, though. P.J. Fleck and Paul Christ, they would see wins like that and totally be willing to not put the ball in the hands of Graham Mertz or Tanner Morgan, two quarterbacks much less capable than Mac Jones. Much less capable. So, So you even have kind of that value assessment going for Mac Jones last night, and they still decided not to throw the ball. So um, I I just get back to, like, as we kind of talk, maybe even more bigger picture as we see kind of the transfers roll in, and neither of them are surprising, right, between Deuce Hogan and Tyrone Tracy. To me, when you couple the Tracy thing, because the Tracy transfer is much more interesting when you look at it big picture, right? 36 receptions his freshman season, if I remember correctly, went down to 24 touches last season. No, 16 touches last season. So it was at two a game. And then 22 touches this game. Sandwich between, or this season, sandwich between that is Brian Ferentz going on a podcast and saying that he did not give Tyrone Tracy the ball enough and his touches per game went down, and he didn't get the ball in enough creative ways, and he had less runs. To me, it just comes down to, like, Iowa is not prepared to commit to any semblance of, like, modern scheme. The the most basic of which, I think, is the jet sweep and a commitment to wide receiver runs out of it, because Tyrone Tracy should have had 20 runs this year. Say what you will about his ability to catch the ball. He is an explosive athlete, and he was not used in a way that gave him the ball in very easy ways, which is could be no easier than the jet sweep. I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna. I don't want. I'm not gonna talk about him not helping his case with drops or anything like that. I, I, I have mentioned, you know, I am, you know, surprised by how good Arvin Bruce and Keegan Johnson have been this year. But it's like. Mm-hmm. The way this offense is operated, there's plenty of ball to go around to people. And uh, if I was wanted to, you know, uh, Sam Laporta is the only guy, I guess, who's really 
been fed the ball, it feels like. And even then, that's that's not totally true. Um, <laughs> right? Like, there's been games where it completely yeah. disappeared. And uh, so that's maybe a little bit of recency bias because Iowa definitely had a game plan for him against Michigan. Um, but, like, going into the year, like, you saw the Tyler Goodson and Tyrone Tracy stuff. Like, they're calling each other TNT and uh, all the rapport they're building with everything. It just really felt like he, he was going to be – the uh, beating heart of this offense. And then he disappeared like three games in the year, like after mm-hmm. Kent, it was like after Kent state um, where he did have a few drops and kind of, some of them were kind of crucial, um, which is dumb to say against a team like Kent state, but like they're memorable, I guess is a better way to put it, but it's not, not like guys haven't people who dropped the football. It's not like guys haven't not other mm-hmm. There's only one player in Iowa history who I can remember not seeing the field because it drops, and he was much more prolific at dropping the ball than Tyrone Tracy. Um, maybe two guys, and and I can only remember one of their names, so I'm just going to leave them both out of my mouth at the moment. Um, but it just feel the only like silver lining, and I don't want to say there's a silver other. I, I do think wherever Tyrone Tracy is going to go, it's going to be a better fit because he's not going to be on Iowa's offense. So I feel good yeah. for him that, and then I, I feel good because I've got like we've got Keaton Johnson and Allen Bruce coming back. So it's not like holy shit, this wide receivers room is going to be bare because that's a problem I was had before. It's weird to say that it's not a problem I was having now. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess that's why I, I think that Iowa could never commit to a game plan like New England because it would require using everyone at your disposal a to plan run the ball of any and sort. They, yeah, and, and Iowa just doesn't do that, right? I mean, the, but but to get to get to the the wide receiver point, and I think the Tyron Tracy thing, I, this is where like I think I could be a demotivational speaker in terms of preventing high caliber skill position players to come from to Iowa because I could I could tell Tyron Tracy that you should not focus on being as team-oriented as you are. Because make no mistake, he was a team player. When Brandon Smith went down, he filled in that role very well. And he practiced a lot of different wide receiver, the three different wide receiver positions instead of just focusing on one and being the best at that. Versus, oh, now he's kind of a man without a home. He's best as a slot guy, but Regani's kind of got the lockdown on that. He's got a lot of time at the X, right? Which is where Keegan Johnson's emerging. And Charlie Jones is kind of that that third guy in the, the Z or whatever, the flanker, I guess. Um, that, you know, Iowa just doesn't necessarily use that much, but needs to stretch the field. And... He never had a position, and the position he had was best for was occupied by Regani, and Regani was, they both struggle with drops, right? I mean, like like you said, a lot of kids drop the ball, but Regani does kind of have kind of that little shiftiness, a little better better route runner, um, kind of knows where the, the first down is a little more, that it, you can kind of see why he gets the bulk of the snaps there. And then to your point, Arlen Bruce emerging as probably the best. Like if you could draw up a slot guy 
it would look like Arlen Bruce, who didn't have a drop on the season, I don't recall, was incredibly powerful and solid route runner. And he, he's going to be the guy for the next two to three years. So there, there's no shame in Tracy leaving. Um, it's just a shame that Iowa didn't actually cash the check that Brian wrote in terms of we need to be more creative in getting him the ball because he's a talented player. And your point of he going to a better fit, there could not be a worse fit for a lot of skill guys than the Iowa football offense. I mean, I was just pulling up stats randomly of <clears throat> of um, pow- of uh, group of five schools just mm. for shits and gigs. And it's like Florida Atlantic, they had one wide receiver over 700 and, and two just touching 500 yards. UTEP has a guy with 1,400 and, and number two has 650 yards. <laughs> UTSA has a guy at 1,000, a guy at 800, and a guy at 700 receiving yards. Houston has a guy at 1,200, and then the next is 500. Then they got two guys at 500. And then, like, Northern Illinois, which is, you know, I saw online, if, I don't know if it's time in cheek, but saw that being a likely landing pace, place for him. Like, they had a guy with 900 yards this year, and second got 550, and the third got 500. So it's like... <laughs> No matter where he's going to go, his production is going to be increased by virtue of not being on the Iowa roster. So good for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I mean, I, 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 I I'm just happy for him because, like, yeah, this was a Sisyphean effort this season for him, and a lot of good stories off the field emerge about, about him. He was always there for his teammates. And it was broadly speaking, like like, he was a leader of this team, but man, it sucks to be the, the offensive skill guy that gets sent to media days and then being afterthought 12, 13 games later. I mean, just, I didn't even think of that weird, weird arc. I didn't even think of that. That stinks. Yeah. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot, but is there any more attrition you're afraid of? And maybe not just with players, but with, you you mentioned, I'll say, again, not to put you on the spot, that you might be afraid of some coaches potentially leaving. Is that just something you had in your head? Or is this, you know, a a genuine concern? So I think, like, I, to me, there are always good transfers and bad transfers, right? And I, I'm not necessarily fearful of any bad transfers. Like, you know, the fact that Iowa has a clear top two or three wide receivers that are young. I don't know that losing any of the guys below them would hurt. Um, running back, I guess it depends on if Goodson leaves or for, for the NFL or not. Mm-hmm. Oh. I, I'm increasingly impressed by the 1,100 yards he put up this season. Like, I, I just kind of want to sit with that a little bit because I was like, man, he's been kind of kind of average. But no, he, he ended up getting to a pretty important number. Uh, 1,100 yards is, is a lot within the framework of Iowa's offense. Um, I, I mean, I guess, you know, you wonder if Iowa is so young at so many positions that I don't know that there can necessarily be bad attrition unless, like, one of the guys that, I'm just amused for like Sebastian Castro. Like that would be 
a bad transfer, in my opinion. Um, if Charlie Jones doesn't return, um, maybe that's a bad loss, but not unexpected. Um, if Riley Moss returns for whatever reason, uses that COVID year, that would be great news, right? Um, so I think there's more opportunity for really important pieces to return than for important pieces to leave. Maybe Campbell's a guy who leaves. Maybe Jacobs does if for some reason he's got draft buds still. Um, but broadly speaking, like my, my ears aren't perked up for, for any bad transfers. Now those may come. You mentioned coaches though, because like the, the one that's interesting to me and is going to be interesting to me for as long as he and Brian operate on kind of like parallel paths, more or less is LeVar Woods. Like, I mean, if I made this point kind of about, you know, Jay Harbaugh, Jim's son, being a pretty good special teams coordinator, if you switch the last name of Brian Ferentz and LeVar Woods and LeVar Woods is Kirk's son, people would be begging for Kirk to leave sooner than later so that LeVar Ferentz could take over. Versus if Brian Woods is the offensive coordinator pulling up stats like he's done, I think you would see even more outrage um, about the offensive output than, than currently exists. And I don't really want to get into a huge nepotism debate, but like I, I don't think there's a clearer, like, this is why nepotism is bad, right? Because the only thing ultimately keeping Brian Ferentz in kind of his position as a potential successor to his father is him being his father's son, right? Like it's not on-field performance or anything like that. And the fact that LeVar Woods isn't like the runaway favorite or is at least kind of dueling banjos with um, Brian Ferentz as, oh, this guy or that guy. So I'm always going to be curious about where LeVar Woods ends up because I think he's underpaid at $500,000 a year, if that. Um, He's like the fourth or fifth highest paid assistant coach, which isn't how Kirk Ferentz values that that side of the football, right, in special teams. Um, So I'm, I'm just curious to see if he goes anywhere. I don't know that he's going to. Iowa guy went to Iowa, loves Iowa, loves being a special teams coordinator, Um, but I'm, I'm interested to see how his career plays out. And I think he's going to probably, I would assume he has more opportunities than almost anyone else on staff. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea how a coaching search works, but it's like with Campbell and his age is an equation. It's like if he hasn't left, I, I mean, I know he had that interview at Ole Miss a few years ago to try and leverage more money, and he got it. Good for him. Um, oh, Phil? Yeah. Parker? Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Oh, I said Campbell, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cam, uh, for for that, uh, it's, I have Jack Campbell's stats pulled up here. That's why I said that. Um, now I lost my train of thought. With, so he, with his age and just what he's done, I guess maybe schools think he's untouchable. But with like Lavar, you have his age, and I'm I'm seeing like I'm reading that like Joe Moorhead is now like the head coach at at Akron, and it's like that that like that truly blows my mind for 
um, to see a guy go from the offensive coordinator to Oregon, former offensive coordinator at Penn State, and had two years at Ole at Mississippi State. That kind of just went awry for him. But like, it felt like he could have stayed and gotten the Oregon job with the way things are going right now, or gotten a head coaching position at another Power Five. <laughs> and so that's telling me it's like maybe you really do have to go and be a head coach somewhere to to get the to get a chance at going somewhere like go be a head coach at a, a Mac school to, to try and make it to get back in the power five. And I know I'm pretty sure Moorhead is from Ohio or Akron. So it's a little bit different for that, but like who's to say like LeVar can't, can't go do this at Northern Iowa or, you know, insert Mac school here and, and then just get picked up by big boys. I mean, frick, I mean, Oregon's open right now. Like look at all the openings Iowa had or the, uh, D1 has had this season. Like, I mean, you think um, Campbell's going to leave soon and go somewhere? I mean, he's got to be number one on the list for Oregon right now. Like, who's going to fill that spot? If I'm freaking Pollard, why are you not calling LeVar Woods maybe, right? I mean, uh, that's maybe it's a little dumb. I I don't know enough about the situation, I guess. But I I don't know too much about coaching. I just have to hope uh, we don't see any defections because – I, I, across the board, I think I always got good position coaches. Maybe it's too early to talk about the offensive line coach, but defensive line, linebacking, running backs, wide receivers, especially, you have to be really happy with. Um, I don't want to postulate on player transfers or more further portal transfers. However, if I'm Alex Padilla and Spencer Petrus, if I'm both of them, I'm looking at those waters, right? Regardless, uh, like, I don't know if I want to go in and participate. (laughs) Right now, this competition doesn't feel it. I don't know if it feels skewed towards Pete, like Petrus anymore, just because of maybe now his durability is a thing people are thinking about in addition to his capability. But if I'm both these quarterbacks, I'm not sure if I want to go through another offseason, another spring football like this, when I know I can go somewhere. Maybe it's not as good as I quote unquote good as Iowa now. Same way Tyron Tracy is going to go somewhere that's going to be better by virtue of not being Iowa. Shit. Yep. I'm looking out for me. If I'm the, both of those guys, you know, I don't know. Uh, Padilla's from Colorado. Colorado State's a mess right now. If I can go in and be a quarterback there, even University of Colorado is a mess right now. If I can go in and compete there day one, I know I'm going to be in a better position because I'm not going to be coached to death by Ken O'Keefe and Brian. And with Petrus, California, there's a dozen schools in California you could go play for. I know um, Fresno State, Jake Hayner, right? Like, he's in the transfer portal. Yeah. Go fucking go there. I mean, I'm not telling these guys to leave, obviously. But if anything else, it would be a nice indictment on, on this offensive coaching staff to see three quarterbacks leave and, and not just three, the first three on the depth chart leave. Like, I feel like that's got to be a possibility. I think you kind of hit it, right? Like, uh, my where I ended up with Iowa's quarterback competition, and, and like I think both of them have interesting skills, is that Iowa has zero quarterbacks. Like Iowa actually has zero quarterbacks because they have an inability to cater to those quarterback skills. And if the one quarterback that Brian Ferentz can work with is basically a Nate Stanley type who is a 
more mobile version of Spencer Petrus and, as it turns out, more accurate version of Spencer Petrus, then that is a dying breed. Like, I mean, and a total indictment on the staff. So, like, t- to me, I think Padilla is the more interesting guy because he flashes a little more on the move stuff. But to your point, like, what is there to be gained by doing that at Iowa versus doing it quite literally anywhere else? And, like, I, I joked, I think, after the Colorado State game, why doesn't Padilla just hop on the plane with Steve Adazio? Well, turns out Steve Adazio got fired, but old friend Jay Norville is taking over, and Jay Norville created uh, an NFL prospect out in Reno. Again, right? I mean, I guess, I guess whoever had Kaepernick was, was before that, but, I mean, that's an indictment, right? Like, Reno, Nevada has as many... NFL quarterbacks as Iowa City, Iowa. And it is a more, I guess, because uh, I, I counted Nate Stanley because I guess he did get drafted, if I remember. Anyways, it's just that would be the indictment because, like, it, it would show as much as anything, just Iowa just doesn't manage the quarterback position well unless there is a clear number one. And that's really it, right? Yeah, and even further indictment is <clears throat> Petrus has been on campus four years, Padilla three, and there still isn't a clear number one. I mean, the more we're talking about this, the worse it's looking, really. And it's always looked bad. It, 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 and it comes down, it doesn't come, it doesn't rest on the players. I mean, that's where I want to be flat we out. We are the most pro player about mouthpieces you can find. I'm talking about. Be- I'm telling these guys to leave for the, for their own sake. <laughs> I know, I know, and like uh, you mentioned th- those two, I think it's. I'm almost swinging around a little bit to what uh, Christopher Hogan's mom said because, like, I I think it's asinine her post, but like, just how weird Iowa's managed quarterbacks, it's certainly easy enough to see how his mom has that opinion of him within the framework of of uh Iowa football but then again sir and madam your son is not going to play quarterback at Iowa fo- for Iowa football unless Spencer Petrus does the impossible and is so good that he leaves early or literally a flu bug hits the quarterback room at the exact wrong time, at which case, with all due respect, Kirk Ferentz would would just stay in Iowa City. That's a joke. And the fact that uh, I don't even – I'm over it, I guess. But I, I, I understand her position a little bit more in the sense that she's just ultimately defending her son and thinks her son got a raw shake, which newsflash happens at Iowa all the time. And he has to capitalize on it, too, because by, you know, a lot of the beat guys' opinions, uh, Labis was passing him. And the fact that Hogan wasn't pushing Padilla says all I need to know, right? Like, there was an open quarterback competition last 
last spring and you didn't close the gap between yourself and the guy in front of you, that that's all that needs to be said, right? Um, if, if she wants to, you know, let the, don't let the door hit you or the good Lord split you, um, then I guess she can. But ultimately it's, I, he's going to be in a better position because I was in a bad position, isn't good at developing quarterbacks. Like, I think we can just say it that, that way. I mean, yeah. I, I was going to say maybe we should give the people a bit more context about this, but I think <clears throat> it doesn't really warrant it. Oh, yeah. Well, especially it's like – and I did go back and listen to what Kirk said, and he gave two <laughs> qualifiers that he was joking. <laughs> I know. Before he said what he said and then afterwards too. And it's like stealing from you, Deuce has never not played quarterback for his dad. So yes. or ever played quarterback for anyone but his dad. So I'm talking about nepotism this entire <laughs> podcast. Like it's infected. It's in the water <laughs> at Iowa. So maybe that's what brings it to you. Peep, I'm peeping. I just wrote the Tyrone Tracy before we logged on. I wrote the Tyrone Tracy transfer post. And there is a handful of commenters already are talking about how Kirk did do sturdy and can't believe they said that. And it's like, I'm not ready to go in there and fight Kirk's wars on this, but those people didn't listen to the presser if they're defending Deuce. Again, pro player podcast, mm-hmm. but also I think players need to play. And I get back to if Deuce Hogan was pushing Padilla, we hear about it and it brings the context into it a little more, but the tape that we had on him, the the kids' day, the open practice in the spring, none of it really good. Um, then you're going back and just you're you're to how you played in high school, which was spotty uh, against low level competition. I mean, he at best he would just be kind of a runaround version of Petrus because Petrus played against similar competition in, in California's private private league or whatever. Um, but I mean, I, the school he went to was K through 12 man and it had 800 kids. Like I it just not hard to be starting quarterback there, especially when your dad's a father. Like, I mean, I it just, I, I don't want to not to keep on top. It just gets back to, I was, I was a, I was a Christopher truther the whole time. That's why I referred to him as such, which is rude of me. And I'll just end on this, not to keep on talking about I was now departed third string quarterback. But I asked you last week on the pod when he transferred if or when he put his name in the portal leading up to Indianapolis if he'd still be around. And, and you had I'm pretty you had he wasn't right. That's where I'm getting at. You said yes because Caleb Shudak yeah. stayed with the team even after putting his name in the portal. But Deuce didn't travel with the team to Indianapolis. He as soon as he put his name in the no. portal, he stopped participating in activities, which tells me he was looking for any excuse to get the hell out of Iowa City. Which is fine, but yes, yeah. But don't there's no have, shame in leaving to play. But don't have your mom <laughs> out here posting stuff on Twitter that, if as far as we can tell, is you know not an outright lie, but isn't really the truth either. She said it was slanderous, and to cool to quote so, a, so, yeah, so, i'm not so, sure she knows what slander is yeah so sue him for slander and see what happens 
he's got a Kirk's got lawyers lined up right now. He'll he'll find the time to see that case. Ah, uh, uh, good talk. Good talk about about all that. And like, I mean, I guess to to put a bow on this podcast from a football standpoint, I'm. It's hard not to look back at ten and three, and be happy about it, but it's also not hard to say they can do 10 and three a little differently and want that from the offense, because that is the one part of the football team that consistently underperforms to its peers. And that's, that's ultimately where I stand. Like, Happy they were 10-3. and three. Happy they got a shot at the, the conference. Wish it was a different way. Do you know what's something I can't stop thinking about? And I wish I would have articulated this because I didn't really think about it when I was writing on Sunday. But ever since then, I can't stop thinking about talking about Kirk, Kirk Ferentz press conferences. Do you remember what he said after the Penn State game? No, what did he say? Iowa fans aren't dumb. Yeah. And so <laughs> you have to give us credit. If we're smelling a rat from Penn State, we can sure as hell smell when the stink is coming from our own house. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, the telltale heart, it's it's buried under my concrete floors. I'm going to go go rip up some of the some of the planks and get to it. John Wayne, well, ben, see that shit. Yeah. Oh, boy. I know. Uh as we're we're here close to the hour mark, we would be doing a disservice yeah. if we did not talk about basketball. As they lost two games to Purdue and Illinois, two strong opponents. This is an analysis I need to go back and do to understand just how raw a deal Iowa has gotten since they've moved to the two conference games in the beginning of December. Because it feels like they constantly start with an 0-2 record against pretty good teams. And like the top, I guess the main takeaway from it is, hey, you need a healthy Keegan Murray to play like a healthy, healthy Keegan Murray. That's number one. But two, this second unit is when, when Fran said at the beginning of the season, he feels good about 13 guys. There's reason to to believe that because Tony Perkins, 100% approval rating, Aaron Ulis continues to be interesting. Uh, and, and that undersells him because what? He had seven assists last night, uh, 11 points, quiet game, no incredible floor game. Yep. Four turnovers from, from the whole team. Um, Agundale is doing some things. Um, and really, that's kind of the story right now is Iowa's got guys. And it's just a matter of turning some of these close losses into close wins by virtue of not getting into huge deficits, right? I mean, that's the, that's the danger. Well, I don't want to say the problem with this, but the thing is, <laughs> Iowa got in a huge def- deficit last night and then went on a 21-2 run. And yep. then kind of shot itself in the foot by keeping, I don't know, 
if I do you buy that Iowa kept in that group too long when they were gassed to let Iowa or Illinois? I think then after giving giving up twenty one to Illinois, then went on like a, a nine nine one run itself or nine nothing run to to let it become a three point lead at half. Like I don't know what totally I can't diagnose what happened there after that, but it just seemed like an emotionally draining and not even physical draining type of thing. Uh, I just don't know what. I didn't watch much of the Purdue game. Like I said, it, it seemed like Edie didn't have the best game, but like Coburn was, I mean, was the, he was the X factor in the second half last night and there was absolutely no answer for him. And it's like, I, I know we won't face a Kofi Coburn again this year, but even if I would face as a Coburn light, they're going to be in trouble. And I, I'm not sure if playing more Agundale, I think only played two minutes last night. I'm not sure if playing him more was the answer, but like, we knew what was going to happen to Rebracha 10 minutes into the game or rather, you know, even just five minutes in the second half, like would have liked to have seen something else, I guess. Yeah. I mean, this kind of gets back to like what Fran is good at and Fran, especially when you look at that first half, like Coburn really didn't do much because Iowa came out, spread them out. They did a good job fronting him and getting to double teams quickly um, and Illinois adjusted, put him in better spots. He's Kofi Coburn. He, he played like it and, you know, dominated for a lot of that second half. And Fran probably should have gone to Agundale a little sooner just to, to see, because like Agundale came in there and blocked him immediately. Like, I mean, Agundale is an interesting person because like, I think he looked really bad in the exhibitions because, the team just going back and forth and back and forth. And he's a bigger guy, a lot of sprints, conditioning's a little lackluster. But in a game like, you know, two or Friday against Purdue last night, where it's a little slower, um, he can settle into the half court a little more, be that big body inside. He's kind of suited for Big Ten play, uh, especially considering some of the, the centers we've seen with average conditioning, um, get a ton of minutes. The guy I'm thinking of is like a Mike, Mike Watkins type who would immediately get tired for Penn State, which isn't – that's a stray Mike, Mike Watkins didn't deserve, so I apologize there, but uh, a person I'm thinking about. But then we – you know, a lot of it just comes down to like getting rebounding out of the forward positions because uh, – that was an area that Wieskamp was incredible at. Like, I think he averaged six to seven boards a game. Patrick starting in his spot, more or less. And he's not anywhere close to five. I think someone had him at two to three. Games like this, he needs to close down the defensive boards instead of trying to leak out and score transition points. Because points... I, I'm so past being concerned about Iowa's offense both in transition and there was some discussion about Iowa looking spotty in the half court which fine but I'm so not concerned with Iowa's offense that I couldn't literally could not care less about concerns people have on it but from a defensive standpoint the best way to improve your defense is to improve your defensive rebounding and Iowa's going to have to make that value assessment that we're fine not living in transition quite as much because we need to finish these possessions. And 
that's the takeaway from the last two games, more or less, is hit the boards, hit them, and that, and you'll see defense improve as, as a result just because teams aren't getting second bites at the apple. I mean, yeah, you look at the rebounding disparity, and you can't last night. It is 52-23 to 23 in Illinois' favor, and you can't believe it's a four-point game. Like, truly. So that speaks to yeah. really how good the offense is. You look at the turnovers, it's mm-hmm. uh, 18-4 to four in Iowa's favor, which is unbelievable. Fran McCaffrey's turnover uh, has always been, I think, the most underrated black spot on his yes. resume. And eventually, even like free throws at, at one point, I think I was like one of six from the line, but they end yeah. up a respectable 13 of 19, just under 70%. Not great. Not the reason. I mean, obviously you make all of them, you win the game, but I wouldn't say that's the reason I will lost the game. Um, it, it's just weird to see a problem we haven't really seen before right now from a Fran team. And then at the same time, seeing other problems be corrected, which I mean, it happens, I guess, right? That things like that have to happen with when when uh, I mean, he's now been the coach for what eleven, twelve, thirteen years. When when you're around that long, just anomalies sort of have to happen. Yeah, like I mean, I like for as bad as the rebounding was, they flipped the script a little bit with the turnover number, as you astutely point out, and that after having like the number one turnover rate in college basketball last year they're right there again this year and that speaks as much as anything to to Fran's recruiting and identifying guys who are really good ball handlers with high IQs and you even look at Tony Perkins and Joe Toussaint who are Tasmanian devils out there and they're they're not turning it over every other time like I always got a lot of skill on, on offense and it's just a matter of putting it together because with with the way the defense played out, like even I kind of look at it and Illinois had two or three shots that were just dumb, dumb, dumb shots that went in. Like there was a bank shot from Frazier at the top of the key. That's like, that's just how that happens. And then there was one, like I think Grandinson had that was like a kind of home run type of throw into very nearly the backcourt were with two seconds left on the shot clock and he chucked it from the logo and that's five points right there and like you you can't play this game with basketball Iowa had their fair share of shots that didn't go in or that went in with like the Patrick McCaffrey three-point and one it's just you know the game was there for the taking despite all of the faults that Iowa had into it which speaks to the character of this team. It speaks to, um, you know, the scoring ability and, and willingness to defend. That's, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say Iowa's willingness to defend has never been higher over the last five years. Um, and let's, I just want to see that a little more in games where conference games where Iowa's winning and putting teams away. Right. And I think, Iowa State's a great test in that standpoint because they're going to play Iowa really strong defensively, and I haven't watched much of Iowa State. They have guys we know, Gabe Kalsher, Isaiah Brockington, um, who have played well against Iowa um, for different teams. But it's probably going to be a little bit of a rock fight, and I think 
I was more well suited for that type of game than they have been in the past, even with Luca Garza. Iowa State better or worse than Illinois? Um, I think Illinois has by far more talent, especially when you include Andre Curbelo, who wasn't available mm-hmm. last night. But I think Iowa State has... Their identity reminds me of some of those old-school Purdue teams where they're just going to defend the hell out of you and hope that one or two guys go off on offense, get him as many shots as possible, and kind of muck it up. And I think that that's the perfect identity for like a first-year coach who is trying to put it together by, you know, the leftovers of recruiting and the the roster that existed, making quick assessments on the types of players that he wants. Like, Rasir Bolton could definitely help this team probably, but he, he's playing for Gonzaga, um, which, I mean, that, that was kind of a wild transfer. And, you know, bringing in guys who can fit that, first season type of mentality and like credit to Kalsher and Brockington. And uh, those are the two that stick out because I always played them in the past, but you know, they have another really, really good point guard, which is like the third or fourth that, that uh prom actually recruited. So like they're, they're an interesting team. And I think maybe my fear about the way the Illinois game played out is Will Iowa be able to play uh, the subs as much as they may need to? Because if, especially if it turns into one of those really defensively oriented games, or do we just get do we just get another Bohannon game and Joe Toussaint does Joe Toussaint things, and you know it just kind of sorts itself out from a rotation standpoint? Because right now I'm really not concerned with what the rotation has been like. I mean, uh, certainly people will have their qualms, but Bohannon's not playing much like they're He's not trying to square peg Bohannon all the time, um, which is good. Like, I mean, he's putting guys in positions where they can succeed and that's really all you want from your head coach. I was going to ask if you would change any of the lineups right now. And it sounds like your answer is no. The one, the one thing I, I would be interested in is like decoupling the guard rotation a little bit. It seems like Bohan and Toussaint and Euless Perkins are a little bit of a package deal. Um, what does it look like if you mix and match those guys a little bit more? That That's really the only question I have. But probably speaking, rotation is what it is. Um, you know, Do you think this will be it? They just need to score. Do you think it's set for the season? It's hard to say, obviously. I mean, history, barring injury, I think history so. History tells us it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the thing with Bohannon is you can use him like a reserve. Like, if he doesn't have it on a given night, he's probably not going to play as much. And that's fine. Part of me wishes I was going to the game on Thursday night in Ames just to hear the kind of shit Iowa State's fans it's gonna be ugly. are going to be hurling at Jordan Bohannon. It's gonna be ugly. I'm, and you'll, yeah. I'm. I'm not gonna say anything. Yeah, 
it's but that's yeah, for our Patreon. I think it's going to be. Yeah. A, yeah. Yep. 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 A- anything else you wanted to close off with? Good sir. I don't think so. This is quick hour 10. It was indeed. It was indeed. So for Ben Ross, I'm Harrison Starr. Go Hawks. Thanks. We'll see you in Orlando. Thanks for the memes.